This episode of Demystified is brought to you by Marmoset. Marmoset, together sounds better. Demystified is a production of StudioFest. If you're ready to make your debut feature, submit now at studiofest.com. This series exists in both video and podcast form and is designed to be experienced either way. You can find the video version at moviemaker.com or the audio version wherever you get your podcasts. From StudioFest and MovieMaker Magazine, this is Demystified, a series about an innovative new way to make movies and what it really takes to make an indie feature film. My name is Jake Bowen, and this series is about shedding light on the parts of getting an indie film made that are never seen and rarely talked about through the lens of StudioFest, a one-of-a-kind annual film festival that awards one writer and one director the chance to make their debut feature film. Last week, we took the first StudioFest film, Souvenirs, to the American film market to interview distributors and to try to sell a movie. So make sure you watch episode one to get the full story. This week, we're bringing you the rest of that AFM experience as we uncover the ins and outs of distribution. To put it bluntly, AFM has a reputation for B-movie schlock, but it's also where little movies like The Lord of the Rings, Twilight, and The Hunger Games were sold. Last year's AFM was where the North American rights to Bong Joon-ho's Oscar-winning film Parasite were purchased, for example. So our hope and our hunch has always been that there is a niche out there for the kind of thoughtful, more cerebral, artistic movies we want to foster through StudioFest. But don't say I didn't warn you. The kind of fare that would be right at home at South By or Sundance. But we have no guarantees that any such niche exists. And yes, I pronounce it niche because this is America. Those first meetings with Glasshouse Distribution left us feeling pretty optimistic that there might just be a place for a movie like Souvenirs, a coming-of-age psychological thriller with some David Lynchian elements. In fact, the only hard, fast rules seem to be that there's no market for dramas with no names. Remember I said you could make it a drinking game? Well, pour a glass. Our next interview of the day is with Galen Christie, founder of High Octane Pictures. Galen has been through this process from the filmmaker's side and knows what it's like to be taken advantage of by predatory distributors. I, I mean, I love my job. I love the business and all that stuff, but it's, it's a shadier side of Hollywood because it, it, with the way that the contracts are established, it's very easy, very easy to hide things or buffer things. And one of the biggest things for us that, that really hurt us was the um, unaccountable marketing expenses. And so when we were owed money, they kept sending us over this little one sheet just saying, oh, marketing, and then the numbers kept going up and up and up. But it'd be really silly. It'd be like, you know, oh, um, we spent $10,000 on a poster. Oh, we spent $20,000 on a trailer. But they take advantage of that in such a way to make it sound like it's so difficult. This is not a difficult process. Like, you guys could seriously go ahead and just do your own sales, do your own distribution. You can. The only thing that really separates me from you guys is the fact that I do know some of the tips and tricks a little bit better. I usually know what to look for in terms of offers. I know how to get around a lot of the censorship issues or, like, the documentations and things like so it's a little bit more of that interactive. They say there was a micro budget, like two hundred thousand dollar movie, mm -hmm. and you wanted to distribute it. What would that deal look like? Um, a lot of what we do to try to kind of separate ourselves is um, the majority of our deals that we set up for distribution are set up through what's called a gross corridor deal, right? So essentially, what it does is it puts you into a little bit higher um, uh, level within the payment waterfall. So that way, you're getting a percentage of the first dollar gross that comes from the title, um, rather than having to wait through all the expenses and all the commissions. We've, we've had title 
models, though, that like, really hit hard, um, where it's like they'll make their money back within maybe five, six months. But I have other ones that will take uh, three years sometimes. And, like, it just really depends on where it is. We asked Galen if there's a budget range that tends to be safest. Yeah, well, what I've noticed here is that a really safe range is usually at about, like, if you have a $60,000 budget, so 60 or below, you're probably going to get that back. Um, when you go above 60, um, it depends on the genre. That I would do something more of, like, an action, you know, something that's a little bit more translatable and not so defined by censorship because you lose a lot of territories, especially with horror, right? So how about a psychological thriller slash coming-of-age story? Like, when you say psychological thriller, um, it might sound a little bit too much more like a, like a mystery, which kind of throws you a little bit into, like, a drama and all stuff. Take a drink. Whenever I hear that, I usually think, okay, there's going to be a pacing problem. Coming-of-age drama and all stuff. Take a drink. The sci-fi stuff usually does really solid. Um, you know, you can get into a couple hundred thousands, you know, a few million and all stuff. It kind of just depends on where you want to go. I will always say, though, if you ever get to a point where it's like you're at, like, even like 300,000 or above, anything really at that threshold, you want to start putting some cast in there. I would never make a movie for over 400,000 without putting an actual name in it. I would, I would take half of that 400,000 and just put it toward that, that name, just on a day place, you can put them on the poster. At that point, you actually got a chance of really kind of getting in there. Without that, it gets really tricky. When you get in the millions, you gotta have some really solid names in there. And stuff. I'm a fan of numbers, even if they're just a ballpark. I'm sure mileage may vary, but this is a pretty interesting blueprint. Before wrapping up, Galen offers a few extra tips. The, the DP, the lighting, you know, I, I love that Alexa Mini thing with like hook lenses. That's really one of the biggest keys is that look, like that almost like kind of 35 millimeter look to it. That production quality is what will always sell it more than anything. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. This is a cute little card. We said, we're micro budget. We have a mini card. <laughs> Please remember us. The That's tiny cute. Movie. That's really cute. I like it. Our final meeting is with Kristen Stannis Bedno, director of domestic distribution at Vision Films. Things that we like at Vision Films, um, we are known for our documentaries. Documentaries have to be big, relevant, big talent even within our documentaries. Uh, we have one called Living in the Future's Past, which uh, Jeff Bridges narrates. Um, we have one coming up soon about Banksy, one about the Rolling Stones. So they're, they're wide audience, mass appeal. They have to be relevant. They can't be like your personal story, that you were homeless and now you're not, or something like that. And while that's a great story to tell, those aren't the types of stories that, that we look for. We love action films, explosions with cast. We love family. VOD loves family. DVD loves family. The DVD industry is not dead. It is a very, very viable portion of, of the industry for us. We do a lot of animation. We're finding a lot of animation coming from Russia, China, Eastern Europe, rom-coms with talent. Drama only if there's talent. Take a drink. In fact, take several because this next part is rough. The worst thing that you can say is... Oh, I have an independent film. It's a drama, and there's no cast. <laughs> We've been hearing that. A lot, don't make, actually. don't make the film, or make the film, but understand that you are making a passion project. It's something that you want to do, and this is to satisfy you. Don't expect to sell it. There's nowhere to do it. The saddest thing that happens, I cannot tell you how many times, just in the last three days, somebody's come in and shown me an amazing trailer. Nobody in it. There's, there's nothing I, there's nothing I can do about it um, at this point, right? I mean, it's already done. It's already locked. That's great. You just made yourself a $200,000 family album. You know, <laughs> we can't do anything with it. I get it. Talent's expensive. Raise yeah. more money before oh, you start making yeah. it. Oh.
that get talent in your film. Story alone, cinematography alone, is not enough of a driver for somebody to commit um, to renting or buying or watching the film. So that's not enough for us as a distributor to commit to releasing the film. It doesn't matter how many festival awards... It's one that your cinematographer was nominated 10 years ago for blah, 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 blah. Um, make it. You know, live your passion. But we wouldn't look at it. Ouch. So does a thriller have any chance? No, thrillers are fine. You know, you get good, you know, Hallmark-level cast. You get somebody who's really recognizable for not a lot. I mean, they're not terribly expensive. If it's a YouTube sensation, it's not really talent, necessarily. If it's somebody that only we're going to know in the United States, don't cast that person because you have to think about the rest of the world. You can make a lot of money in the U.S. and Canada, but there's so much money in the international that it has to be done right. More after the break. This episode of Demystified is brought to you by Marmoset. Marmoset is not a stock music site. It's a curated collection of real music by real musicians, bands, and record labels, often with entire albums available from a single musician or band. They have an award-winning music production team who collaborates with artists and bands to record original music, sound design, and custom scores. I used Marmoset while editing souvenirs, and one of the coolest features I found is the ability to sort tracks by their arc, a visual representation of the progression of the music. It's extremely useful and saves you a ton of time. Visit marmosetmusic.com to browse music now. Marmoset. Together sounds better. So what's Kristen's advice to filmmakers looking to work with a distributor like Vision Films? Well, 12 years now, I was at Stars and Lionsgate for a long time. I released all of the Stars wholly owned series into all the international territories. I've seen so many things go wrong. I think sometimes it's a list of don'ts is more important than a list of, of do's. There, there are probably four things that, that filmmakers do wrong the most often making a passion project and expecting it to make millions. Not thinking about your audience. When you write the script, when you shoot the script, something you are interested in, take a look at the segment of the population that would also be interested in it. And if the answer is everybody would like to see this film, then make that film and you can make money. Filmmakers forget behind-the-scenes images, EPK interviews with your talent. Still, don't have your nephew come with his iPhone for 20 minutes on one day and expect to have gorgeous artwork. Hire somebody to come for a couple of days, spend that money to get your stills because otherwise you're, you're, you're getting screen grabs. And then the last thing is social media. Start it early. Anybody who is your talent, take those shots. Don't use it all right now. Save it for later. Save it when you're doing your publicity. Thought of two more. When you do get talent, make sure the talent is contractually obligated to support for social media, for publicity, and that they're cleared to use their image and likeness on the artwork. You have George Clooney in your film, but unless he's put in the contract that you can use his picture on the artwork and in publicity, why did you spend the money on George Clooney? Um, last thing, don't release your artwork. Don't release your trailer. Don't put all of your stills out. Before you do anything, get a distributor. Make sure your distributor is going to hire somebody or they have an internal publicity department. 
um, work with that publicist to determine your timeline and your schedule for release. If you've already put out your trailer, if you've already put out your artwork, if all of your stills are already up on your social media page, what is your publicist going to use to get your film attention? There's nothing left. You've already spoiled it. So hold everything back. Keep it locked, passwords on your Vimeo account, and time with your publicist and with your distributor leading up to the release of the film. Right. Yeah, Can my, we my send pleasure. you our, um, what we have as well? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, one of my favorite things to do is new filmmakers, and I specialize in um, diversity and inclusion, so female filmmakers <laughs> specifically. Thank you. I'm available. Come back for more if you need it. Okay. initial optimism has kind of worn off. The bitter reality is that most of the films being bought and sold at AFM are the result of cynical trend chasing. You get things like Battle Star Wars, and it wears on you. The advice we're getting from these interviews, grateful for it as we are, is not really about how to sell your film, it's about how to engineer a film to be sellable. The art is at best an afterthought. What we see at AFM, that's not the gospel. There's other film markets. We That was one perspective from one market. Yeah. We want to make films that stand for something, that say something, that have really strong themes, really strong characters. The way Studio Fest is set up, we should be able to essentially make a free movie every year. That means that we can make pure, unadulterated art. That means we don't have to compromise because we're trying to sell a movie. And, and even now, we're still operating under that kind of ethos. It's not like we're just making whatever the Chinese government wants us to make until then. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. We're hoping that the festival can be a vehicle for auteur directors and things like that to get over that hurdle sooner and get to work and start making a feature film. That's what gets me excited about Studio Fest, finding the auteurs, finding the people that have a voice. I want to work with artists. That's what I want to do with my career. I'm not as interested in finding something sellable. I'm interested in good stories. Our goal here was to arm you with information. Don't take any of what we heard at AFM as gospel, but use it to make informed decisions. For example, one of the things we heard constantly was talent, 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 especially for dramas. Now on the one hand, that's a tough pill to swallow. To get a big name in your film, there's a financial barrier and an access barrier. On the other hand, it means if you can get a name on your film, it can be almost any kind of film and it'll have a shot. So what do you do with that information? Well, maybe you change your script. Or maybe you say, screw them, I'm not going to change a thing, and decide you're willing to take the risk. Maybe you hold off until you can raise more money for a name, or maybe you pivot your strategy and focus on landing your film at a big festival where it's going to be better received. But no matter what you choose to do with it, we hope this info makes the process just a bit easier to navigate. All in all, we got a lot of valuable information out of our trip to AFM. It would have been nice to land a distribution deal for the movie, though. 
There are two participants in the conference. Hello? Hi, is that David? <laughs> yes, you've got uh, David on the line and uh, Tom and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I watched the film. Yes, we both watched it. Really, 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 really uh, excited to uh, talk to you guys about this. Next time on Demystified, we hear back from Glasshouse Distribution, the first distribution company we met at AFM. Turns out, they want to distribute souvenirs. Also, we'll introduce you to the winners of Studio Fest 2019, and we learn a thing or two from entertainment lawyer and slam dance film festival affiliate David Albert Pierce. Demystified is a Studio Fest production presented by Movie Maker. This episode was narrated and edited by me, Jake Bowen. It was conceived and recorded by Jess Jacklin, Charles Beale, and Jake Bowen. The theme song was composed by Patrick Patrikios. Additional tracks and music supervision were provided by Marmoset. You can find links in the show notes to some of the tracks used in this episode. To hear future episodes of Demystified, go to moviemaker.com or visit studiofest.com, where you can also learn more about Studio Fest and subscribe to the show. Thanks to our sponsor, Marmoset. Marmoset is a full-service music agency representing a highly curated roster of diverse and rare artists, bands, record labels, and vintage recordings for music licensing. Visit marmosetmusic.com to browse music now. Marmoset. Together sounds better. Together sounds better.